False alarm. Ahsoka Tano! Bo-Katan sent me. We need to talk. I hope it's about him. Welcome to the 16th action-packed episode of Mandavision, Nargai Tom. And thank you so much for checking out this small independent Star Wars podcast. Today we are here to, dis to discuss Season 2, Episode 5 of The Mandalorian. This is Chapter 13, The Jedi. Written by Dave Filoni and directed by Dave Filoni. Remember, the best way to reach out to this small podcast is via social media at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share the show with all the Mandalorians in your clan. And if possible or so inclined, please give us those sweet, sweet, sweet five-star reviews. They help small independent podcasts like us stand out and not get lost in the shuffle. They also taste as good as a Kowakian monkey lizard on a spit. Delicious. Please head over to our parent website, 3bzine.com, where you can find a link to our store MV page and buy all of the sweet merch from all three shows on the network, like Beer Night in San Diego, the TomCast Popcast, and MandoVision. Sorry, Best Car is still out of stock. All right, now it's time to strap on our buckets and talk about Episode 5, Chapter 13, The Jedi. And uh, this is a pretty wild episode, right? A lot going on here. A lot, a lot of things happening for our main characters, for our main cast. And a big introduction uh, from the animated series. You know, I, I've, I've tried to indicate in the past that watching Star Wars The Clone Wars, watching Star Wars Rebels, was going to be a benefit to you. This is the episode that shows, hey... Maybe you should have listened. <laughs> and listen, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to be that guy. I'm just. I'm just saying, you were warned. <laughs> well, listen. Also, before we kind of get too deep uh, onto this episode, I should mention. Uh, listen, I'm recording this episode. It's very late at night on on the Friday that the episode debuted. It's it, we're closing in on Saturday morning, and uh, uh, you know it's it's a holiday weekend. My wife, my wife is off work. We are out of town, and so I am. I am sitting on the floor of our Airbnb, recording this episode because, gosh darn it, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to record the podcasts, to to provide information and content for all of you wonderful listeners who who take the time to download and subscribe to this podcast and want 
uh, uh, detailed breakdowns because I'm trying to give you the best breakdown I can with uh, a decent amount of spoilers. <laughs> but there's some things I don't want to spoil. So I, I do a, a bit of a dance. Right. <laughs> and we'll talk about that because this is an episode where the dance gets a little bit harder. Like Mike, Michael Flatley would uh, would have a hard time keeping up with me with all the dance steps I have to do on this one where I, we talk about the episode in depth, but I try not to get too spoilerific on things that maybe you you all haven't seen just yet. But if some of you out there have listened and have followed my my, my what I think is good advice and watched Star Wars The Clone Wars and watched Star Wars Rebels, this episode is completely enriching to you. But we're going to talk about that. I'm going to try to honor both perspectives with this breakdown. And I, th- I think that's vital because... You know, if you're if you're on the social media right now, and you're in your specifically Instagram, Twitter, Twitter is its own animal, and I think everyone who listens to the show knows that Twitter is its own beast. Uh, but Instagram in particular, you know, they they are completely enamored with with one aspect of the show of today's episode, and they they uh, uh, Disney be damned, Disney's request for spoilers to be uh, not posted until you know, Monday, after people have had three days to watch the show. A lot of that's been thrown to the side. But not this show. No, no, no. Listen, if you're listening to the podcast, the spoilers are ever-present. We're going to get into it. We're going to break it down and provide analysis. That's what we do on MandaVision. But on our social media feeds, no, no, no. No spoilers. Nothing of the sort. At least not until Monday, and then we'll start getting kind of posting the goody goodies. But this weekend, man, nobody held to that. Uh, there, there, there's a few small revelations that you know, that we'll get into on this podcast, uh, but everyone is all about posting Ahsoka Tano content, and rightly so. Listen, one of the reasons why I are strongly urged people to watch the Clone Wars was because of its content regarding Mandalore and the Mandalorians and Death Watch and, and Bo-Katan and, 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 and you know, Duchess Satine. It, 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 all, it all has importance to the Mandalorian, but of more significance, especially with this episode, the debut, the live-action debut of Ahsoka Tano, the former Padawan of Jedi Knight Anakin Skywalker. Oh, what? You didn't know that? Because you didn't want to watch what you deemed as a silly cartoon? Well, you missed a lot. You missed a lot. And and listen, I'm, I'm going to put it out there. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys and guys and gals. You are, are kind enough to listen to this podcast. So it's it, you should know the truth. When I watched the Clone Wars movie in theaters that opening weekend by myself, well, basically by myself. I was with my brother came too. He was there too. But we basically had the theater to ourselves. And we watched that movie. And boy, oh boy, I was not an Ahsoka Tano fan coming out of that theater. I had serious res- reservations, serious concerns about that character moving forward with this new animated Star Wars show. But over time... Over the, over the duration of the Clone Wars series, 
that character won me over. And I became a ardent supporter of Ahsoka Tano. And listen, I'm, I'm gonna, I, we will get into it. At, you know, as, as we break down this episode of the show, um, but Ahsoka Tano is a big part of Star Wars, Star Wars canon, Star Wars mythology, and knowing her backstory, her journey, her arc, from you know Padawan, from uh, Padawan, um, excuse me, Jesus, from Anakin's Padawan learner slash youngling to the je- to the Jedi Knight she becomes on that show. And what happens to her prior to Order 66? What happens with her after Order 66? These are fascinating bits of Star Wars mythology that are worth your time to explore. Again, if you're watching The Mandalorian, you have Disney+. Plus. You can watch The Clone Wars cartoon. You can watch Star Wars Rebels. You can get all this mythology. Easy peasy. Super digestible. Super fun. And you also get, a, a, again, you also get a, a kind of a crash course on the history of Mandalore and the Mandalorians and Death Watch and Empress Satine and Bo-Katan and the whole shebang. Uh, Pre Vizsla, again, another member of the Mandalorians that's important to this show. But you don't have to. And that's the nice part about the Mandalorian series. If you don't want to go back, if you don't want to do that deep dive, you can just watch this on the surface and still have a great time. And we will talk a little bit about that too. But again, we're going to provide a breakdown with some analysis for the hardcore fan and for the new fan. So I hope you guys are ready. Please strap on those buckets and let's go. Is he speaking? Do you understand him? In a way, Grogu and I can feel each other's thoughts. Grogu? Yes. That's his name. Grogu. All right, so let's get into it. Let's kind of get into this episode of The Mandalorian again. Directed, written by Dave Filoni, but it's packed so full of Star Warsy goodness that uh, it goes beyond the notes that I've written down here. All right, the Jedi. All right, so I love this opening. You have a mercenary on top of a wall, played by Michael Biehn, who we know as as Kyle Reese from the Terminator, we know from Hicks from Aliens, and then. He sort of stands watch as uh, these soldiers hunt outside the city gates for an unseen enemy. And then stalking your prey between flashes of lightsaber cuts, we see Ahsoka Tano eliminate her hunters. Ahsoka Tano on this show played by Rosario Dawson. And I think I think Rosario does a really nice job. You know, we all know Ashley Eckstein's work from the animated series where, I mean, she was with Ahsoka from the beginning to the end of Rebels. She completely captured that character's spirit and essence and, and, and kind of worked her journey in the animated world. Uh, I think, I don't want to say it was jarring to hear Rosario's voice for the first time as Ahsoka. 
because I think she does a fairly nice job. I feel like it's a fairly nice bridge uh, between the two actors from from Ashley Eckstein to Rosario. Uh, but Rosario's look is spot on. She looks fantastic as Ahsoka Tano. And, and again, it's definitely her voice, but the way she delivers the lines is very Ahsoka Tano-ish. So sort of Ashley, Ashley Eckstein's cadence is incorporated into, into, the, into the part, which I think is wonderful. And, and because you, you, you have to honor what came before you. And I think Rosario does that. And it, it's been interesting in the, in the weeks prior, or I'm sorry, in the weeks leading up to this episode, um, reading interviews with, with, with Katie Sackhoff and, and sort of the process she had to go through of bringing Bo-Katan to life and how it was much more complicated than she thought it would be because, you know, when she was just doing the, the ADR, like the voiceovers, it was, it was one thing. Uh, but then all of a sudden I had to kind of bring to life the movements and the facial tics and the, and the, and the way she kind of gesticulates was a, a different thing completely. Or actually, I should say in Katie's, Katie's performance, not gesticulating <laughs> because Bo-Katan is very centered and, and, and not about the wild gesticulations like some people may be, or at least as Katie Sackhoff may be. So I think I think Rosario gets off to a really nice start with this, with this performance. And again, I loved seeing her stalking these enemies. I love the flashes of her her dual white lightsabers. Again, a, a cue from the Rebels cartoon. So it's straight from the animation, adapted into real life. So it's wonderful to see that all come to life. Uh, I love seeing that. And then uh, it's interesting too to note that uh, as this show opens, as this episode opens. We are, we are following a character other than Din Djarin, which is a rarity uh, thus far in the show, but a sign that as the mythology deepens, uh, you know, perhaps the focus on other characters will as well. And, you know, we got, we got a little taste of that last week in the siege when, when we followed uh, Mithril and Caradun and Grief Karga as they were escaping the Imperial facility and Mando was racing back to Navarro to 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 grab the child, and there was that that was kind of our first extended period of time without Din Djarin on screen, and then for this episode open without Din Djarin on screen, again a little bit a little bit different a little bit new. Um, again, it's not the first time they've done it. They they opened episode four of of season one that way as well when when we met the krill farmers. Uh, and and they were being attacked by the raiders with the ATAT, or not the ATAT, the ATSD, you know. So I mean, it, it's not completely unusual, but for a long time we sort of have followed this this kind of formula with the show. And you know, as the show goes, so does Mando, so does Baby Yoda. So a, a little bit different. And again, we weren't meeting inconsequential characters in this one. Uh, Say what you want about those krill farmers, but I, I haven't seen them come back. Ahsoka Tano, a character with a huge fan base, a lot of mythology behind her, and of uh, significance to to the fan base, to to the to the watching audience of Star Wars. So really great to see her be the the sort of focal point. And I'll be honest, it wasn't what I expected from the opening of this episode. I thought they were going to go in a little bit of a different direction. I did think it was kind of interesting to see how 
they played out, how Dave Filoni played out the initial encounter between uh, Armando and Ahsoka Tano. And we, we used that as the opening clip for this episode. But and we'll, we'll talk more about it as we get to that scene. But again, very, very interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. So after after that 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 scene, we we find out that uh, you know Ahsoka delivers a ultimatum to the magistrate of this town. This magistrate has information that Ahsoka wants, and nothing's going to stop her in getting it. And she gives the magistrate one day to agree to Ahsoka's terms, or she's coming for her, and it's going to be a fight to the finish. It's about the time that our that our hero, Din Djarin, the Mandalorian arrives on on uh, the planet Kaladin, heading to the village of Corvus in search of Ahsoka Tano. And it just so happens that he arrives in that one day period and uh, he heads he heads to the town to get some information basically. Um I wanna pause in, in this to like let's talk a little bit about Ahsoka Tano. And we're gonna get into some spoilery stuff. Again, if you haven't heeded the advice of this podcast, if you haven't watched The Clone Wars, if you haven't watched Rebels yet, we're going to get into some, to some stuff. I'm not going to get into... I'm going to try to avoid specifics so that you can still watch it and enjoy it and, and be surprised by some elements. But there are a few kind of linchpin moments that we're going to talk about. And, and if you don't want to hear those, by all means, pause the podcast or skip ahead. One of the key elements of Ahsoka's journey in the Clone Wars, remember, she's introduced as Anakin Skywalker's new Padawan. Anakin Skywalker is something of a, I don't want to say rogue Jedi, but he's a, a bit of a rebellious Jedi. He's a bit headstrong and overly confident, a tad arrogant in his methodology. And, and while Ahsoka learns a lot from Anakin. She's learning a lot from Obi-Wan too, so there's a bit of a contrast between the methodologies. But she learns a lot from Anakin. Anakin is the, the mentor she bonds to the most. So as her journey progresses, and her experiences progress, and she becomes a Jedi Knight in her own right, and as Anakin kind of progresses to become a Jedi Master, it it a situation arises in which Ahsoka questions the process of the Jedi Knights, the kind of sort of bureaucracy that has arisen in the Jedi Order, uh, mo you know, over the over prior decades and centuries, but as it's kind of coalesced here in the in Star Wars, the Clone Wars, and she feels that the Jedi have strayed from their path that they are no longer about protecting the innocent, defending the weak. It's, it's about upholding a bureaucracy that is corrupt and ineffective and has its own goals, and the Jedi have become tools of that bureaucracy. And she's framed for a crime that she does not commit. And in order to prove her innocence, she has to go against everything that the Jedi Code stands for. And in doing so, she leaves the Order. But by leaving the Order... What Ahsoka proves to the audience is that A, the Jedi as an organization are, are flawed and that they are blinded to what's happening around them. 
which in the larger scope scope of the mythology that's Darth Sidious's plan Darth Sidious's plan with the rise of the Clone Wars was to cloud the force was to distort the light side and the good side so that the the Jedi could not see what the Sith were doing what the Sith were trying to accomplish Ahsoka's False accuse, being falsely accused, forces her to to, to sort of face this like this 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 um, this clouded force. Not clouded force. That sounds stupid, but she's forced to confront the Jedi from a different perspective because it, it because she's on the other side of the law now all of a sudden from the Jedi Order, which is an an institution in which she believed in, which she thought was flawless and faultless. But now she begins to see the cracks in it, and that—that's the point of the of that Clone Wars series, is to see not only the cracks in the institution that is the Republic, that is the Jedi Order, but the cracks in our characters, the cracks in Anakin Skywalker, the cracks in Obi Wan Kenobi, and even Ahsoka Tano. She's she's far from flawless. She has her brushes with the dark side as well, um, but that's what makes her journey so fascinating. But to, 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 again, not to get too deep into her journey, but she renounces the Jedi Order. She leaves the Jedi Order when she's been cleared of those false accusations, and she kind of becomes her own person. And by doing so, she sort of becomes, she sort of becomes like the penultimate Jedi, like the, the, the definition of what a, a, a pure Jedi should be, the defender of the weak and of the innocent and of the, the, the downtrodden. Uh, she is their their advocate. She is their defender. She is their spokesperson. Uh, so she is, in a lot of ways, she is the embodiment of all that is good in the Jedi Order before the corruption set in by becoming pawns of bureaucrats and, and politicians. So it's important to keep that, keep that in mind. And if you haven't watched those shows, again, you, you may not know that. You may just have heard the name from the series, and that's super cool. I, I hope this episode encourages you to check out her mythology, to read, um, or you know, watch those episodes, read the book, the novelization that Ahsoka had, where she was in hiding after Order sixty six, and and you know, dodging and fighting Inquisitors from the Emperor and from Darth Vader. You know, it's a lot of really, really good stuff. It's a lot of really fascinating material. The Star Wars galaxy is much richer than just the movies. And just, you know, The Mandalorian is showing that. So I hope everyone's paying attention. And, and you know, obviously we are we are hip deep in this ep- this season. We But we only have three episodes to go. So if, if you didn't heed my advice after season one, I hope after season two you will, and you will go back and you will watch Clone Wars and you will watch Star Wars Rebels because it is an enriching experience, especially now that Ahsoka Tano is on the board as a real-life character from that show. And we will talk a little bit more about why her appearance is so significant to so many other characters in just a minute. So I forget if I've mentioned it so far. Uh, but one of the reasons why my vocals might sound a little bit different today is because I am recording this very late, late at night on the Friday night of this episode's premiere. 
The plan was initially to record this episode early in the morning after I had initially watched the episode. Um, but it's a holiday weekend. My wife is off work, and we are actually out of town. If you are familiar with California, Southern California or the Central Coast, uh, we are in Solvang. <laughs> we spent a very isolated and socially distant Thanksgiving here by ourselves. And uh, uh, we <laughs> there were, there were some, some calendar conflicts this morning where the wife wanted to do a few things that I was like, oh, well, that's great because you said you want to do one thing, but I was planning on doing a podcast, and well, she overruled. And so we're doing this very late at night on the Friday after the episode. So I hope everyone understands and will bear with me for my sort of uh, quiet, Ben Steinian-esque tone tonight for this podcast. I'm, I can't quite be as uh, enthusiastic or as uh, yeah, full of as uh, much euphoria as I normally am discussing this podcast, discussing this show. But I hope you will understand and bear with me over this holiday weekend. And uh, rest assured, next weekend I will be uh, as energetic and euphoriastic as usual. So here we go. Again, we've barely gotten into this episode. We're 25 minutes into this podcast, and we barely talked about a gosh darn thing. Mando and Baby Yoda arrive on the planet. Baby Yoda's still obsessed with that control knob. He unscrews it via the force. Mando eventually finds it, tucks it in his pocket, because Mando's not cool with that. You, got, you can't just keep taking shit parts. That's not cool. Uh, Mando and Baby Yoda, they arrive in the town. You know, Michael Bean's character grants him entrance. And we've, we find a populace living in fear of the magistrate. Excuse me, of the magistrate. And, uh, and, and, and outsiders in general, citizens uh, in electric cages and, 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 are, and are sort of in this poor, destitute state while she seems to be living, the magistrate herself seems to be living in a state of luxury. Now at this point, it's, it's, I feel like it's kind of important to mention that this is very evocative of Kurosawa once again. We bring up Kurosawa. We haven't talked about Kurosawa since season one of this show. But this this plot is very much Yojimbo. The, the Yojimbo arrives in town. He's a ronin, sort of a ronin samurai, rogue samurai. And he's there to defend the population, while the while, while the gang war, the the warlords sort of battle each other. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as as we kind of progress through the plot. But evocative of Jimbo evocative of more Kurosawa, which, again, very much in the vein of Star Wars. So it makes a ton of sense. So bear with it, okay? So Mandalorian, our Mando, Din Djarin's walking through town. He has Baby Yoda. Got him in a sweet side pouch like he normally does nowadays because, you know, where he goes, he goes. That's how it works. <laughs> and, and, and the magistrate wants to talk to the Mandalorian wants to hire our, our Mando to track down and kill Ahsoka Tano. Because, again, you may have forgotten because we got way off track. But at, at the beginning of this episode, Ahsoka issued a statement that if, if the Magistrate did not surrender and give the information that Ahsoka wanted, there would be hell to pay. Well, the Magistrate is making 
extra steps, taking, is taking extra steps to make sure that Ahsoka is dealt with. And she's going to hire a Mandalorian to do, do, to do her dirty work, to handle her business. Now, Mando never agrees, even after the magistrate offers the staff of pure Beskar, which we know Mandalorians want the Beskar back. It was strip-mined by the Imperials and sold off to whoever else. So reclaiming Beskar is of uh, a paramount significance to Din Djarin and other Mandalorians. So the a staff up here, Beskar, is, is not to be taken lightly. But since our hero is in search of a Jedi and she wants to hire him to kill a Jedi, he's, like, he's going he's gonna to sort of spin things in a way that benefits him. So he gets the information to find the Jedi but he never actually agrees to take the contract from the magistrate, which is a, you know, a fairly important uh, detail, which comes into play once the two characters interact with each other. So, so we, we get a scene with the Mando being sent off by Michael Bean's character. And Michael Bean, I, you know, I haven't seen Michael Bean in a lot of things recently. Uh, his delivery in some of these lines is a bit stiff. I don't know if that's by choice. I don't know if that was by, by direction. A bit stiff. Not enthused. And I, I, I do feel like Michael Bean, in a lot of senses, was sort of misused. I think he could have had a bigger, more significant part in this in this show. But we'll talk about that. Because he just seems to kind of be like the mercenary in charge of the goons. And then he's once the goons are dispatched, so is he. But we'll talk about that later. All right, so Mando goes into this, this depleted forest. And we should talk a little bit about this depleted forest. Well, I take that back. I'll probably just play the sound clip of, of, of that when we get the chance. So you'll know, like, because, that, I mean, Bo-Katan tells us to go to this forest world. But when we arrive there, it's, it's very depleted of forestry. It's very um, barren in a lot of senses. Uh, you know, we would probably just play that sound clip, so don't don't worry about that too much. We'll get into that, okay? So Mando searches for Ahsoka. Then you have, well, for eagle-eye viewers, you had a spotting of a Morai, which is an owl-like creature that has a special connection to the Force. If you are a fan of the Clone Wars, you will recognize the Morai. Because it becomes the creature that follows Ahsoka Tano. And again, I'm not going to go too deep on that at this particular juncture as to the hows and whys of that because, A, I ho- I'm hoping you're watching the show and you're progressing through it. And you will eventually get to Mortis and, and, and see the things happen. But also because it seems very likely that this podcast will be covering the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels episodes down the road. So uh, I'll, I'll I'll break it down then, but uh, this is this is part of Ahsoka's lore. These these more these uh, Morai owls that uh, follow her because they have a special connection to Force, and Ahsoka has a special place in the Force as well. Again, this goes back to the Clone Wars. It's there. It's in the mythology. But you get a great battle between Ahsoka and Mando. You get Beskar versus lightsabers. You get a little flamethrower action. You get a little, a little grappling cable. Uh, really, really good stuff, and then you get the opening sequence, like like we said, and then you get you get some information. You get 
we get a massive reveal about Baby Yoda. And Baby Yoda, no longer Baby Yoda. Grogu. Grogu is his name. Trained by masters at the temple on Coruscant. Shuttled away, hidden by unknown forces before the purge. So that means Anakin Skywalker failed at killing children. You thought maybe Anakin was the best at killing kids. Not so much. He missed one. One got away. Grogu. Grogu is the name of Baby Yoda. I'll, I'll be honest. I butted up against the name Grogu for a little bit. I've sort of become more accepting of it uh, as it sat with me. But the comparisons between Baby Yoda and Baby Groot were there. Specifically in the last episode with the, you know, with Baby Yoda being excited and then throwing up on himself. Very Baby Groot. And then you give Baby Yoda a name whose first three letters are G-R-O. It rang a little, it rang a little weird for me. And, and I, you know, obviously the rumors have been around too that uh, Disney not stoked that, that the fan base had adopted the Baby Yoda moniker for the child as opposed to the child. They didn't seem really down with the whole Baby Yoda thing. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little curious if Disney sort of came to the Star Wars folks, you know, Kathy Kennedy or John Favreau or even Dave Filoni himself is like, hey, listen, let's get Baby Yoda's name out there because we don't like this Baby Yoda thing at all. Again, I have no basis for this. I'm just super fucking curious. All right, so let's go ahead and play a little sound clip from, from the tail half of the conversation between the Mandalorian and Ahsoka Tano about Grogu. Here we go. He was raised at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. Many masters trained him over the years. At the end of the Clone Wars, when the Empire rose to power, he was hidden. Someone took him from the temple. Then his memory becomes dark. He seemed lost, alone. I've only known one other being like this. A wise Jedi master named Yoda. Can he still wield the Force? You mean his powers? The Force is what gives him his powers. It is an energy field created by all living things. To wield it takes a great deal of training and discipline. I've seen him do things I can't explain. My task was to bring him to a Jedi. The Jedi Order fell a long time ago. So did the Empire, yet it still hunts him. He needs your help. 
Ooh, that's big right there. And and one of the things, one of my critiques of the episode uh, is that Ahsoka never, never declares to Din Djarin, to Armando, that she's not really a Jedi anymore. She left the Order. So you, you sort of have to ask the question, you know, is this episode referring to Din Djarin's search for the Jedi? Or a Jedi? It, you know, it, it, is, is this referring to the Jedi as a organization, as a group of people? Or just a random individual? And, and Ahsoka Tano does not quite fit that bill. No, as we established, I, I considered Ahsoka Tano to be, to be sort of the, the primary definition of what the Jedi should be. But can she still claim that moniker? Again, she never fully ex- accepts being called a Jedi by Din Djarin, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything because she, she, doesn't, she doesn't accept it, but she doesn't deny it at the same time. So it's, it's a little complicated because uh, you know her role in her relationship with the Force still very present but she you know Ahsoka is a, is a complicated character and I, again I'm trying to dance kind of between raindrops and not give away too many spoilers she's not part of the order but what is her relationship with the force because she was in hiding for a significant amount of time as well specifically during the purge era you know when Vader and the Inquisitors were hunting and killing Jedi Knights and then we don't quite know what she was up to during, you know, episodes four, five, and six. We don't know what she was doing. We we know there's an epilogue to the Rebel series. We don't quite know when that fits into the timeline. We'll talk a little bit more about that later, though. So exciting things going on there. Now again, we talked a little bit about Yojimbo, the the Kurosawa film, and and Ahsoka's gonna going to. Try, uh, get, do some tests with Grogu. She's going to send her some rocks to him. Will he send them back? Now, it, this is a little bit more of a callback to what we talked about way back when in, in season one, when, when we, we first established a Mandalorian with a, a baby Jedi. And, and we're, talking, we're talking Lone Wolf and Cub. And there are hints of things to come that are lone wolf and cub evocative, but there's a little bit of that in this episode as well. Uh, there is specifically a scene in the lone wolf and cub manga where the child is asked, oh, as a one-year-old child, is asked to choose between a sword and a ball. And if the child accepts the sword, he will be trained in the ways of the Ronin samurai. Running samurai is a little complicated because samurai means you have a, have a master. You 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 work for somebody. Running means you are a, a masterless samurai. But you you get what I'm saying. But if he chooses the ball, he will be killed and spared the the misery of his existence. So Ahsoka attempts to pass him a a basic rock. And, and he she passes it and he catches it, but he won't send it back. And he won't he won't receive it because Ahsoka sends it to him via the Force. Now the Mandalorian, when he's called, because Ahsoka assumes 
or Ahsoka um, deduces that there's a more of a, 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 a bond between Din Djarin and Grogu that perhaps there'll be better success with this test if he is the person with the, with the rock. Except instead of a rock, Din Djarin is frustrated and holds up the sphere, the metal sphere, the little ball from the top of the control rod on the Razor Crest that we've seen Baby Yoda fascinated with, that we've seen Grogu fascinated with since season one. And Grogu calls for the ball, for the sphere, for the, the control knob. Uh, so the, the, this sort of shows us two different things, or forces us to ask two different things. Is, he cho- is Grogu, is Baby Yoda choosing the way of the Mandalore over the way of the Jedi? Or perhaps, as Ahsoka's asserting, is his bond, Grogu's bond, to the Mandalorian going to inhibit any potential training he might have as a Jedi Knight? Because what they talk about, you know, we haven't gotten into, into great depth. Again, we don't know much. But from what Ahsoka tells us, something happened after, after Order 66 was issued. The Purge was issued. Anakin Skywalker running through the temple, killing younglings, killing Jedi as he came across with stormtroopers at his side. Someone, we don't know who, helps Grogu escape the temple on Coruscant. We don't know what happens next. We don't know who helped him escape. We don't know what happened next. But we can assume that over time, it was bad things. And Ahsoka helps, helps fill a little bit, uh, fills a little bit, uh, excuse me, Jesus, fills a little bit of that in when she talks about how he has sort of, Grogu, excuse me, has sort of tucked away his force abilities, has sort of hidden himself from Imperial detection from the Inquisitors, from Darth Vader, from the Emperor. So he's reluctant to use his force powers. But again, you also have to remember too, we are in a period of time that is roughly five to six years post-Return of the Jedi. So roughly 25 years since the fall of the Jedi Order has Grogu been in hiding, which is half his life. Remember, he was 50 when Din Djarin rescued him in episode one of season one. So a lot's happened in, in Grogu's lifespan. And at some point, he was captured and acquired by the Empire and experimented on and had blood taken. So he sort of has a, a, a sort of Jedi version of PTSD. You know, he has these amazing stressors on him. So he, he chooses the hows and winds in which he uses his force powers. And, you know, and we saw that in season one uh, when, he, when he elected to force heal Grief Karga, when he was able to force shield uh, Din and, and Kara and IG-11 and Grief from the Flame Trooper. You know, we haven't seen much of it in season two so far, uh, you know, other than for sort of, sort of selfish acts, you know, sort of things that pleases him, you know, like taking... The, the knob from the from the control stick in the in the razor crest you know and and you know feeding on on some some frog eggs 
Uh, so it, it's it's really complex and really complicated because, yes, we got a ton of information about Baby Yoda, about his origins, about his history, and about his name. But there's a huge blank space, like roughly 25-ish years, and maybe, you know, up to even, even up to 30, where we don't know what happened. But we can assume it was bad uh, because he, he he's, again, reluctant to use the Force. He seems apprehensive about using his abilities. And, and Ahsoka notices this. She, she sees this. And listen, we're going to do a little spoiler territory here. Um, but Ahsoka Tano, former Padawan of Anakin Skywalker, she's one of the few characters in on the secret, in on the fact that Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader and is, par- and is responsible for the fall of the Jedi Order. And when that happens, when that realization happens, it is immensely powerful. It is immensely satisfying as a Star Wars fan to watch because, you know, we're sort of deprived of that moment with Obi-Wan. You know, Obi-Wan thinks he's killed Anakin. And it is, you know, there's, there's a brief mention of a scene of Obi-Wan watching, watching a holocaust in a bar in, on Tatooine in the epilogue of the Revenge of the Sith novelization. But that's it. It's never been chronicled in anything else. And I suppose that's canon. But the battle that Ahsoka Tano has with Darth Vader in Star Wars Rebels, in which she discovers the truth about Darth Vader, is, I mean... I mean, just thinking about it makes me want to like, kind of tear up a little bit because, again, like I said, I, I was not an Ahsoka Tano fan when, when, when she first debuted in that movie. But by the end of the Clone Wars series, I loved that character so much. She grew and developed and learned and just worked her way into all of our lives. And, uh, you know, m- you know, maybe there were there. Maybe there's a, a segment of the fan base that loved her from the get go. And that's awesome. I'm not trying to, to besmirch them by any means, but for me, it took, it took a little bit with Ahsoka, uh, but she won me over by the end, long before the end. And, and, and her journey is, is just fascinating, fascinating. And we, like again, like I said, when you get to Rebels, and in her appearance in Rebels, she doesn't show up in the beginning. You have you have to work for it. You have to watch Rebels to get to Ahsoka. Trust me. Um, but the payoff is just it's it's heartbreaking and and emotional and it's it's Star Wars on all the right levels. And listen, I could do an entire podcast on on why Star Wars is so emotionally satisfying and how Star Wars is based on the failures of, of, of the characters and why that drives the story forward so much. Um, but I'll save that. But trust me, it's going to be a good podcast because trust me, all those characters, the failings of those characters are the impetus for the entire Star Wars universe. And it's so fascinating. It's just, it's just so fascinating to me. I love it so much. So again, Getting back into this episode after, what was that, like a 15, 20-minute diatribe? My God. A deal is struck. You know, Mando tells Ahsoka that he, that the, the magistrate wanted him to kill her, 
but he seems to, to recognize that Ahsoka's on the side of, of the morally right. He has seen, our, our Mandalorian has seen the way the Magic runs that town. And again, our, our hero, Din Djarin, seems to have a code. So they're going to team up. And as our hero, Din Djarin, is kind of briefing Ahsoka on, on some intel on the, on the insides of that city, what she's going to face as she attacks the town, she mentions the HK-87. What's that? You're not familiar with that droid model? Perhaps you should play Knights of the Old Republic so you can be called a meatbag by a droid. Great callback to Nice Little Republic. Again, another we're getting another great throwback to a video game reference. Nice Little Republic popping up in The Mandalorian. Remember in episode one of season two, the Pearl and the Cry Dragon. That's all Nice Little Republic. Great stuff right there. And uh, we also get a great moment about explaining uh, who our magistrate uh, who our magistrate is, uh, Morgan Elsbeth and her origin. Morgan Elspeth. During the Clone Wars, her people were massacred. She survived and let her anger fuel an industry which helped build the Imperial Starfleet. She plundered worlds, destroying them in the process. Yeah, it looks like she's still in business. When you were in the city, did you see any prisoners? I saw three villagers strung up just outside the inner gate. We must find a way to free them. A Mandalorian and a Jedi? They'll never see it coming. So now our hero, Din Djarin, and Ahsoka Tano are teamed up, and they're going to stop the magistrate, Morgan Elsbeth, and, and whatever sinister plot she's up to. We get some great action here uh, between Ahsoka... And the magistrate's forces to open the sequence, and then the Mandalorian arrives to defend and protect the the citizens, the people of the town. And again, this is evocative of Yojimbo, the Kurosawa film, uh, with the samurai who protects the people, the the citizens, the innocent, while while two warlords fight it out. Now it's a little bit different, obviously, because Ahsoka is not a warlord, but it, it strikes the same vein, and it's 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 shot in a similar similar fashion. You know, a, a little bit of Western, but a little bit of that, that classic uh, Japanese cinema that Kurosawa was so well known for. You get a Lothcat signing, sighting, excuse me, a Lothcat sighting, which is uh, evocative of Star Wars Rebels, and a little bit of Clone Wars as well. What I wanted to mention here, too, is the, the elements play a big part of this, too. You know, we, we've seen the planet that is, is roughly strip-mined over, over the course of this series, uh, but it plays a big part in this, in this, in the dual duels that happen here. Listen to the elements, the wind blowing and whistling through this town, as as two competitions happen, which is Michael Bean's character versus the Mando, which is a very Western esque gunslinger style shootout, and then you have Ahsoka Tano versus Elsbeth in in a samurai style a duel, which is you know. Tano with her lightsabers, Elsbeth with her Beskar staff, which we've seen in this episode, can defend very well against the actions of a lightsaber. It's 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 
interesting to note how the, these two styles are represented in in this final battle, uh, because a lot of a lot of Japanese cinema very much influenced Western cinema. You know, concurrently, uh, in the, the, again, the 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 samurai duel heavily influenced the gunslinger duel of the Western films in America. So it, it's sort of fun to see that 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 duality between the genres right there, and it's encapsulated, I think, in a very strong way here in this episode of The Mandalorian, shot by, once again, Dave Filoni, who learned from the master, George Lucas, who, again, heavily influenced by Akira Kurosawa. So we get we get the confrontation. Well, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll just play the sound clip here. Hang on. Actually, before I play that sound clip, I do want to mention, in case I, didn't, in case I kind of undersold it, the, the action sequence of Ahsoka storming the town solo is is fantastic and when 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 mando swoops in to save the citizens also fantastic but there's a lot of great action uh in and around those sequences so watch those watch as michael Bean attempts to stalk ahsoka tano he has those hk droids with him uh really really good stuff there but let, let's play this clip from when uh, uh mando and and Bean are in, in their stare down with each other and it sounds like Judging by the sounds, and again, I didn't talk about it necessarily, but the sounds in this episode are so strong. We talked about the wind, but the sounds of the battle, of the lightsabers clashing against the Beskar, just really, really impressive. And, you know, Mando and, and Bian's character on the other side of this wall can only use those sounds to determine what's happening on the other side. So let's, let's, let's listen in and see how that plays out. Sounds like you win. being i guess he's not going to be back next season but the interesting thing about about the way this plays out is you know the citizens seem to take over mando kills another hk droid creeping over the ceiling everything seems a-okay but here's this where is your master is that Gideon? Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? Ooh, ooh, maybe not. And that is where we have to pause that because that is a conversation for another freaking day. Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? Well, listen, that is a complicated answer. <laughs> and I, as Tom, the 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 masked Mandalorian of the podcast. I am more than happy to to discuss with all of you fine folks that are listening who the heck Grand Admiral Thrawn is. Now, granted, if you know the show, if you've read the books, if you know the expanded universe, if you've watched Star Wars Rebels, you know who Grand Admiral Thrawn is. But if you don't. But if you don't, trust me, you'll want to. Grand Amal Thrawn is, quote-unquote, a pimp. 
he is one of the most badass characters in the Star Wars Expanded Universe. And when he was brought into Rebels, that was that was quite a, revel- a revelation of its own. The fact that he's been mentioned in a live-action series is a whole nother animal. Now, as I discussed with a friend and a listener of this podcast, I would love to follow up on this thread. But what I'm curious about is, does this thread connect to more Star Wars Rebel stuff? Are we going to learn more about the fate of Ezra Bridger and Sabine Wren, another Mandalorian? Or is this going to be a possible, as is rumored to be, an Ahsoka spinoff show? Is this episode sort of a backdoor pilot to an Ahsoka spinoff show that would catch her up with the characters from Rebels, with uh, uh, Hera Syndulla, and with Sabine Wren, the Mandalorian, with in, in their in their quest to track down Ezra Bridger, a, a, a potential Jedi who was lost in a situation, we'll just call it that for now, with Thrawn, the hotshot rising admiral of the Imperial Navy. Now, we'll talk more about Thrawn and his significance in another episode, I promise. But that revelation is big time. That's huge. And listen, if, if it's not for a spinoff, if that dovetails into this series and perhaps Grand Amethron is pulling Gideon's strings, that is wowzers. That is wowzers, wowzers, wowzers. And, and you know, we can't get enough of that on this show. We love wowzers here. <laughs> That's for sure. So after the events in the town, in Corvus, the town is freed a new magistrate is returned to power. Or, I guess, I don't know if he's returned to power, but a new magistrate is put in power to protect the people. Mandalorian and Ahsoka sort of revel in in freeing these people. Ahsoka hands Mando the Beskar staff. Now, what's also interesting is we don't necessarily see on the show, the final fate of Magistrate Elsbeth. We don't know if Ahsoka kills her, imprisons her, maims her, uh, exiles her. We don't really know. That's unknown. And I wonder if that will be something that comes back to bite our characters in the butt. Perhaps Ahsoka is using Elsbeth to find Thrawn in, in, in the sense that she is going to set her free, and hopefully follow her back to Thrawn. Um, but we don't know. And again, I'm going to talk more about Thrawn. There, there will be a special primer episode about Thrawn at some point. I'm just a little curious how much more Thrawn stuff we get this season, or if this is, again, potentially spinoff material for an Ahsoka Tano show with, with Sabine Wren. Uh, you know, we, we will see. The timeline is a little bit muddied. If you've watched Rebels, you know that. You know that in the epilogue of the final episode of the show, Ezra and Thrawn are lost in the world between worlds. And Ahsoka Tano and Sabine Wren are going to go and try to find Ezra Bridger, their friend, who helped them defeat Thrawn by trapping him in the world between worlds. 
is Ezra dead and Thrawn escaped? Did they both escape? Did did Ahsoka end up having to free them both? I mean, there's there's a myriad of possibilities for for these characters. Now, what I want to play next is is sort of the final bit of dialogue from the episode because the Mando has delivered on his end of the bargain, but Ahsoka cannot deliver on her end of it. And so she offers a little bit of, 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 of a nugget, of a little bit of Jedi sort of, I don't know, mythology to put the Mandalorian on his next path. And again, yes, the, this shows a little bit role-playing game sometimes where you, you complete one objective and it's now it's time to move on to the next. Or you do the side quest, you get your experience points, and you can move on to fight the next big boss. I understand those arguments, and they're not wrong, uh, but it, 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 it seems to be working for the show so far, so I'm not going to argue with it at this point because at least the stakes are rising. We're getting more mythology, more consequences, more stakes. Now, I say consequences because no one's died necessarily, but as the, the, as the, as the stakes rise, I suspect that will not be the case for much longer, but... Let's play this last bit of dialogue between Ahsoka, between Din Djarin, as she sets Din on the next part of his path. Here we go. You're like a father to him. I cannot train him. You made me a promise, and I held up my end. There is one possibility. Go to the planet Tython. There you will find the ancient ruins of a temple that has a strong connection to the Force. Place Grogu on the seeing stone at the top of the mountain. Then what? Then Grogu may choose his path. If he reaches out through the Force, there's a chance a Jedi may sense his presence and come searching for him. And again, there aren't many Jedi left. Thank you. May the Force be with you. You don't see it, but there's a, 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 a wonderful little send-off scene between Grogu and Ahsoka Tano as they sort of, again, commune through the Force, and Ahsoka smiles at Grogu. And, you know, we, we, we play the clip, you know, where she talks about how, obviously, the only other person in that species that she's ever encountered was Jedi Master Yoda. And I, I want to give a little shout-out to... Once again, to Ludwig Gordonson for his fantastic score because he did his normal stellar job with the Mando score, but he incorporated so many new elements in this episode. Uh, he incorporated a little bit of John Williams' Force-sensitive scores, his Yoda score, his Dagobah score. I forget the exact title, but you know it when you hear it. 
He also incorporates Ahsoka Tano's theme from the Clone Wars series, which is also phenomenal. Uh, but in the celebratory scene, after the town, after the village has been liberated, it's the Mandalorian theme, but sort of, again, in a, in a, played in a celebratory manner, almost invocative of Return of the Jedi. Uh, just a really stellar job with the music, and I, I can't commend Ludwig Gorenson enough. If he doesn't have an Emmy by now, he should have all the Emmys after this one. Now, an important piece of information, going back into the mythology, back into the episode, we have to talk about Tython. Tython is an uh, expanded universe that is now becoming real universe. Tython is one of the rumored origin points of the Jedi Order. It dates back to a series of, of, of I think there's one novelization and maybe two comic book series. Uh, basically, I think they're roughly called Dawn, Dawn of the Jedi. And they center around a planet called Tython. And it, it's, it's strong force abilities that are on that planet. I don't, I'm, I won't go into the, the, the lore of that, those comic books, but the, the, I, think the, I think the important point of information to take from that is that Tython is a place of strong, concentrated force power and force abilities. So now Mando's mission is to place Grogu on the scene stone at the top of the mountain of that temple, and Grogu will decide his path to become a Jedi or to choose something different, to become a Mandalorian. Who knows? It's, it's interesting. I, I didn't play the clip uh, because it's very, very brief. But Ahsoka Tano does utter, utter the lines that Master Yoda said to a young Anakin Skywalker. I sense much fear in you. So whatever's happened to Grogu, again, has had a, a dramatic impact and effect on him and his psychology. We saw how protective he was of Mando in season one in the arm wrestling match between Mando and Cara Dune. Cara Dune, a person that Mando considered an ally, but Baby Yoda, aka Grogu at the time, perceived as a threat to a person he was bonding to. So, yes, we are definitely seeing a, a potential dark side of Grogu, and, and, and Grogu seems to be aware of that. Uh, Grogu seems to be shutting himself off from the Force because he seems to perceive that uh, the dangers are not worth the risks. He Again, as Ahsoka said, trained by, 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 by many masters, but not, by far not, a, not even a Padawan. He was very early in his training, even though for, for 50 years of age. And we don't know any more about what happened to him after Order 66. You know, we know some more of his origins. We don't know all of his origins. Let's be perfectly honest. We still don't know much about Yoda's species. So if George Lucas has those secrets, he's still keeping them at this point. Uh, but the real key ingredient here is like, is like what happened after Order 66. Who rescued him from the temple? Who got him off of Coruscant? Who taught him how to hide himself from the Empire? And then eventually, who found him and got him into the hands of, of Werner Herzog's character 
and in 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 the in the, in the sphere of Moff Gideon and and his plan to develop uh, dark troopers with force abilities or just solo troopers with force abilities and then dark troopers on the side again a lot to kind of process here a lot to kind of get through as as, as we work our way through this mythology but I'm loving the deepening of all this mythology it's insanely satisfying it's insanely enjoyable and and i hope you all are having as much fun with this season of the mandalorian as i am and again i hope you apologize for the super sexy tones i've had to adopt for today's episode in order to become a tad more quiet so my wife could sleep in the room adjacent to where i'm recording this podcast it's it's a holiday weekend i have nothing else as a defense Again, thank you all so much for listening to this podcast. I can't, I can't even begin to thank you all. Uh, remember to follow us on social media. We are at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share the show with all the Mandos in your clan. And if possible, or so inclined, please give up those five-star reviews. They are almost as good as a, uh, a plate of sweet potatoes with marshmallows on top. They also help a small independent Star Wars podcast like us stand out and not get lost in the shuffle. And and please visit visit our website for our network, 3bzine.com. That is T-H-R-E-E-B-Z-I-N-E.com, where you can find a link to all the podcasts on the 3BZ network, Beer Night in San Diego, the Tomcast Podcast, and Mandavision. You will also find a, a link to our Store Envy show where you can buy sweet, sweet merch from all three shows. I apologize again. Best car, out of stock. Lightsabers, out of stock. Ahsoka Tano t-shirts, out of stock. I'm sorry. We, we, we'll make up for it. But there is still some good gear on there. All right, so check it out. Again, thank you all so much for listening. I hope everyone has had a wonderful safe and happy thanksgiving we will be back next week i will be at my normal octaves i will be enthusiastic and screaming from the rooftops we have three episodes left this season of the mandalorian and it's going to be a joyous occasion i am sure of that so remember big things to take away from this we got the the, the yojimbo references we have the lone wolf and cub references. We had more eye sightings to reemphasize that Ahsoka has a, still has her special connection to the Force. We had Lothcast sightings. I mean, we had all of it. What a great episode! So much fun. I think Rosario killed it. Uh, I, w- I, w- I will admit, a little disappointed that Michael Bean's character didn't have a, a lot more fun. Was it a little bit more Johnny Ringo? But hey, Rosario made up for it. I think she's a wonderful, wonderful Ahsoka Tano. Even even if Ashley couldn't do it, even if Ashley Eckstein couldn't do it, I'm 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 pleased with with Rosario. I hope Ashley feels the same way. All right, so we're gonna be back again next week. We'll be we'll be earlier <laughs> than we are today. So thank you all for so much for listening. I again I hope you have had a happy and safe Thanksgiving. And hey, December's here. We got three episodes left. Time to crush it. Strap on those buckets and remember this.
is the way. Grogu and I can feel each other's thoughts. Grogu? Yes. That's his name. <laughs>